0: Welcome back to the QAV Podcast. This is episode 16, I believe, recorded Monday the 17th of June 2019.
1: And how are you today, John Laws? John Laws. (laughs) Golden tonsils, except my tonsils have been removed. (laughs) Were they encased in gold when you had them removed? (laughs) No, I had to pay for the removal in gold. (laughs) I had my tonsils out when I was a kid, and I got tonsillitis last year. Can you believe that? How does that work? I don't know. They said it's possible still. Like, there's little... uh, Did you grow them back? No, no. Just like little rough... There's a rough surface where your tonsils were, and it got tonsillitis. One of the most painful things I've ever had. You know, if that was your mutant power, that you grew back your tonsils (laughs) whenever they were removed, that would kind of
0: suck. I mean, there's got to be... I mean, if, uh, mutations are obviously random. You never see that in the X-Files film, uh, X-Men films, right? You never see the person who gets the really, really shitty mutation that really yeah, right. accounts for nothing.
1: Like like Albino Man.
0: <laughs> well, you're almost that too, right? No, you just pale, pale man. Redhead. That's it. Redheads are mutations, aren't they? I don't know. Or is nah. it just... No? No. Nah. Just... Northern regions genetics. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the John Law's gag, uh, just to bring the audience in on that. Uh, if you're if you're not, if this isn't your first time, you will have known that in the past, yeah. You know, Tony's audio quality has been dicey. He's speaking inside of uh, palaces and caverns and uh, you know tapping on stuff. So he he went out and bought a boom arm, a boom for his mic this week, and I think it's uh, sounding better already. Excellent, best and hundred it, bucks I ever spent. And <laughs> well, well, we don't know about that. But anyone under the age of uh, forty probably doesn't know who the hell John Laws was. So, when did he
1: die? Is he oh, dead? Not too long ago. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, maybe five years ago. Mm. Yeah, he used to have a golden microphone. Worked for, oh, is it two GB? The yeah. same way Alan Jones does. I think it used to be was, and like, he's he's not dead. <laughs> God, he's he's not not wicked, according to Wikipedia, he's not dead. <laughs> well, he's not broadcasting, so that's as good as, isn't it? Well, yeah. I so wonder what he is doing these days. Oh, he'd be pretty old.
0: Uh, Thirty-five. He was born, so not that bad. Like he's, and in his eighties. Yeah, okay. eighty-four. Oh, well, how old's Rupert Murdoch? Yeah, about the same. He'd be Rupert Murdoch's age. Not slowing Rupert down, unfortunately. Anywho, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Tony, before we get into the things you want to talk about this week, um, I want to apologize to the nice people at Vocus Group. Um, (laughs) You know, we analyzed them in our uh, QAV Club episode last week and you put the kibosh on them and then AGL pulled out of their uh, uh, acquisition offer this morning as a result of hearing the podcast, I suspect. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have any confirmation on that, but I suspect it probably had something to do with it.
1: Well, we're two for two. I think Apollo Tourism and Leisure went backwards and now Vocus is going backwards. I well, think mine may have come off a little bit too. So, look, I think anybody out there who wants to pay us not to, not to analyse their stock, you can reach us on email. Yeah, I mean, we didn't, Vocus didn't. Passed muster last week
0: for no. us, but uh, you're right. Myers has gone backwards since we analysed them. Eclipse, Stanmore, Apollo, Mitchell Services hasn't. They're, they haven't gone anywhere. They're just holding steady as far as I can see. But um, everyone, like everyone I hear on other investing podcasts is talking about what a glorious bull market we're in the middle, <laughs> but every, every company we look at is going backwards. Well, we did
1: also, we analysed Afterpay too last week,
0: didn't we? We haven't put that out yet. We analysed it when I was in Sydney. We haven't actually – we were holding that one in the bag for when you go uh, on your uh, binge drinking tour of 2019 uh, so, a couple of weeks. So
1: Afterpay you – just you've sent the email to Afterpay asking for the ransom, but they haven't delivered yet. <laughs> yeah, something like that because they <laughs> haven't had a good week. No. No. <laughs> Oh, okay, so it's not it's not the broadcast of the podcast; <laughs> it's the recording of the podcast. Well, I tell you, the one that did go out was
0: we talked about them uh, with Alan Kohler, and then we right. talked about it a little bit, I think, uh, afterwards or something like that. But um, yeah, right. um,
1: just that was enough to send them plummeting. Yeah, well, to um, to be a bit more serious, Vocus is an interesting one because they've dropped a lot today, as we we're recording. <laughs> Uh, so they're now technically below the three-point trend and should be a sell, but there was no real way to get out before that, so I'm inclined just to keep them at the moment and see what happens. They may recover. If they keep going backwards, they'll probably sell.
0: Right, because you had bought them prior to us doing them on the podcast. They passed
1: your checklist earlier. Last year, yeah. But by the time
0: we got to them, they didn't pass last
1: week. Yeah, but it is worrying. I mean, I think if they've had – we don't know what's going on. If, if they've had two companies look at them and walk away, there's, mm-hmm. chances are there's some kind of skeleton in that closet which we're not aware of. Mm. Yeah, so there's a risk there, big risk.
0: Or just the, the growth prospects aren't what uh, the potential acquirers thought they might have been.
1: Yeah, and, and the CEO came out after the last company walked away, EQT, and said, look, it's a three-year turnaround. We're still too early to, to do a transaction like this, and that's what's, Spooking EQT. Mm. Um, you know, it's possibly the same with AGL. Who knows? The other thing with AGL is their share price dropped when they announced the takeover bid because they're a gas and electricity utility. And there's been a lot of backlash against the CEO for trying to get into data. Uh, so it's possible, you know, someone inside AGL put pressure on him to walk away, uh, either a big shareholder, which is, you know, possible or, I wouldn't think the board would he would have consulted the board first, so probably a big shareholder may have come knocking and said, Look, stick to your knitting, guys, we don't buy into your gross story. Hmm. But we're
0: speculating. I don't know. No, we don't know. And it didn't pass the checklist anyway, so we'll we'll sit and watch and see what happens. Yeah. The other thing I and, wanted to throw in send into- them a
1: ransom note. <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you don't pay up, we will talk about you a second time. <laughs> the, uh, last week I talked about uh, this journalist, Alan Austin, who writes for Independent Australia, and he's been talking about the uh, economic coverage. He's put out another story today that I saw a few people talking about on Twitter. Um, <laughs> the headline of his article is, Newsrooms tell the truth about the economy after the election. And he's done quite a good analysis comparing uh, the Australian and the Finns' coverage of the economy before the election and now after the election and how they're telling a very different story. What are your thoughts yeah. on uh, economic coverage before and after
1: the election? Have you seen a, sh- a shift? Uh, it's certainly gotten worse since the election, but I don't know if that's because of the election or because of just the deterioration that's that's come about in the last month or so. Uh, the, the, the first thing that pops into my mind, and I haven't read the article, is the RBA goes quiet during an election period, and they're oftentimes the font of all information around the economy. And if they're not publishing anything or if they're not, you know, making uh, interest rate cuts or rises during an election, which they tend not to do since John Howard was Prime Minister and they cut during the election... And then John Howard lost the election to Kevin Rudd, and uh, the RBA RBA was criticised for saying the economy was in a bad state during an election, which was kind of a vote, which was kind of telling people to vote against Howard. That's how it was seen anyway. So the RBA goes quiet. It's quite possible the journalists, you know, don't have as much to write about if the RBA goes quiet. Uh, and but, um, certainly, what they're picking up on now is things like the latest NAB retail survey. The latest NAB, Consumer Price Index, and the RBA Minutes. So it's possible that they just didn't have much to write about during the election in terms of the economy.
0: But unemployment numbers, underemployment numbers, lack of wages growth in the last five years, none of these things are surprise news in the last month? No, true. So the writing was on the wall, they... Just decided not to cover it. Uh, So let's talk about NAB's retail recession. That was another headline I saw in the last uh, week or so. Um, We've talked a little bit about retail on this show over the last couple of months with your old boss, Joe, and uh, with Alan Kohler. So does that mean that retail is the retail numbers are bad all over or is it just your your big uh, store retailers that are struggling because of some of the things we've talked about the online and the oldies and those sorts of the the costcos coming into the market did you get a sense for whether it's retail overall that's slowing down or just those traditional retail outlets that are struggling
1: yeah my sense is it's discretionary spending so as part of you know, the same thing we talked about with Apollo tourism and leisure. It's it's part of this whole. I'm going to keep my hands in my pockets at the moment and see what happens. I'm not going to buy a new car. I'm not going to sell my house. I don't feel as rich anymore because my house price has come off, etc. Uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, one of the first places that people discretionary spend is retail, and that's why I think it's hitting retail at the moment. And I'm seeing around the place just just myself in the last probably few weeks, maybe a month. A few more for lease signs coming up on the strip shops. So uh, that's oftentimes a a bad sign for retail and even a bad sign for the economy. If you take a strip of shops like we have down here in Victoria Street, you know, in Melbourne, maybe Glenferry Road or uh, I don't know what the equivalent is in Brisbane, uh, your local, you know, uh, local set of shops that's not part of a mall, walk down the street and count how many for lease signs there are. And if you're getting up towards half a dozen in the street, that's a bad sign. I mean, generally, you expect to see one or two. Uh, I'm starting to see five or six in the street near us now, and that's usually a sign that, that people just won't chance renewing a lease or taking out a lease and they're doing it tough.
0: Mhm. All right. Now, uh, let's get on to our other agenda
1: for this week. You you had an idea for something to talk about? Yeah, a couple of ideas. That The first one was I had a question during the week, and, and uh, I'm not going to give... Personal advice, but I'll turn the question into a generic one. Someone asked me, um, taking back control of my finances, listening to your podcast. And I, I do own a few stocks, predominantly bank stocks. What, what do I do? Do I sell them now and then try and find something, uh, that meets your checklist and buy it or hang on for a bit? Yeah. You know, what should I do? So good question. Um, most people will be in the same boat, I would think, if they have shares already set up and they're, going to do some uh, analysis and investment for themselves. my answer is you don't you don't do anything to your existing holdings unless they're they're trending downwards and, and going through a three point trend line break in which case you can sell them and go to cash but in the case of the person who asked me they had bank stocks which are going through a bit of a surge since the election and because of the interest rate cut so I said look don't you don't uh, sell them until you have something better to invest in. And that gives them some time to do some analysis, and then when they find something they like, they can sell their stocks and and put it into the uh, the new investment. So that's the basic rule of thumb, and uh, applies not just to bank stocks but to all stocks. Uh, if if I was holding stocks and uh, I thought uh, I, I you know wanted to make a change in direction, I'd first of all do the analysis, find something new, and then jump, uh, and not jump first. Why why not get out of it and put it in cash? Uh, you could if, the, as I said, if the trend was going down, you know, so badly it was breaking a trend line. Sure, but uh, as we said before, not every you don't have to be a good score on the QAV checklist to go up. So stocks can still go up even though they're overvalued or, or aren't of the quality that we we seek. So I, I'd still hold them, and you're probably going to get at least the sort of general market return, especially on big stocks. Uh, so there's no hurry to to jump out of those unless there's a overriding consideration, especially if their trend lines are going down. Especially if
0: we've analysed one of them recently on the show, that's when you'd want to get out of them quickly because you know they're about to tank.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if we say that's a good one to look at and it scores well, (laughs) get out.
0: The the kindest and curse.
1: (laughs) Yep, and it's good that we don't make recommendations on this show, isn't
0: it? It is, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're we're not a we're not a financial advice or a stock tip show. That said, I mean, uh, I do have confidence based on your track record that uh, the companies that do pass muster will long term turn out to be good bets. Yeah,
1: am I right sure in trusting you that far? You are, yeah. You're right to trust, and, and I trust it as well. All right. So the I've, second part of the uh, part of the question that came through to me was. Uh, Where do I start? How do I analyze stocks quickly and cover a lot quickly? And my answer was to get a hold of a, if not something like Stock Doctor, then a service that's going to allow you to do filtering or querying on various KPIs. So in Stock Doctor, you have the facility to run a, what they call a, um, a filter over all the different uh, metrics that get reported in Stock Doctor, so one of those being operating cash flow, and so you can quickly drop into Excel the operating cash flows for all the businesses listed, and then uh, include their share price and the number of shares, and you can quickly calculate in Excel the, the price to operating cash uh, ratio, and go from there, and then sort it, and so start with the with the shares that are uh, showing a uh, a price to operating cash flow ratio of less than six times and then go and do the full checklist on that and that's a subset of all the stocks that are in the market uh last time i did that you're probably going to get you know around a 100 stocks uh probably i would start with the ones that have the lower scores and then work up towards six and you can even go a little bit above six if they have a high quality score they'll still score well on on the checklist but around six is a good uh, a good place to draw a line so I've said this um, on
0: some of our recent podcasts, like if people are trying to figure out how to do this QAV stuff, uh, seriously, they shouldn't just be doing one stock a week like we're doing. They should be learning from that one stock a week the, the the thinking process, the thought process you go that you go through, but then trying to get through as many as quickly as possible to find the good ones because – at the rate we're going, we're going to get through <laughs> like 365 in the course of a year and probably find one or two good ones. So that's, that's not really any basis to build a quick portfolio around.
1: No. And look, I, I think what we should probably say as well is let's just eliminate all the high, high growth internet stocks from our analysis going forward. They're just a waste of time in terms of uh, analysing them. They're always going to score poorly on the QAV podcast uh, checklist, so That'll narrow things down a little bit for us and make it a bit quicker. But everyone on Twitter's talking about them, Tony. Yeah. Every time I
0: I look, every time I'm on Twitter, people are like, oh, it's going great. I even saw one this morning. I can't remember which one it was now. Oh, some New uh, Zealand-based competitor. Oh, Pushpay. Here we go. Right. Strawman Invest on Twitter says, fast-growing, profitable, and with no debt, Kiwi tech company Pushpay looks to be doing everything right. And yet, compared to the other ASX-listed tech companies, shares trade at a relatively undemanding multiple and I was like, "Oh, we should look at it." And Then I thought, "Tony's going to go nah. Yeah, <laughs> Nah. Yeah, nah. That's
1: nah. right. Undemanding multiple. Undemanding that- multiple. Can we sue him for libel? Undermanding uh, multiple, please. I think that was uh, PushPay was the one Alan Kohler liked too. I I seem to recall it was. was. That's the, the one. That, isn't that the one that collects uh, or automates collections from collection plates in churches in the US? Yeah, I think that was. Yeah. I think that was the one. Yeah, mm. and look, it could be the next Amazon. Who knows? Mm. But, you know, people said that about GetSwift, and that's now, you know, back to a few cents, whatever the share price is, back a heck of a lot from when it it floated. So for everyone that goes up, there's one that comes down. And if you're somebody who wants to
0: ride the dragon, you can jump in and, you know, uh, put your heart in your mouth and try and get out at the right time. But that's not your
1: style. No, absolutely not. And good luck to the people who can do it and can stomach it. Um, as I've said before on this podcast, it really feels like about 1998 to me. Uh, value stocks are doing it tough. Uh, internet stocks are flying. And I tried to do some research on finding out a way of valuing these stocks, After both after the chat with Alan Kohler and, and discussions we've had where I scratched my head and said I can't work out how to value them. And it seems that key to the valuations for most of the people who are pushing these stocks is something called an addressable market. So it's it's how big is the market that you can address by this product? And that, to me, sounds exactly like eyeballs did back in 1999. You know, here's the number of people who are going to look at your site. Maybe it is the right metric, but for me it's just like saying, well, how big is the market, you know? What's yeah. the, you know, Australian market economy is worth $3 trillion. So what? It's <laughs>
0: 1998 all over again. Savage Gardens at the top of the pops. The t- <laughs> Titanic is unbeatable in the box office number one all over again i'm work i just got a jo- i just got a job at microsoft i'm feeling pretty good about myself i'm happy life's looking good i'm only on the tail end of my first
1: marriage uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i just uh, started working at uh, ecoles Meyer and then went on to run my direct and, and go through the mm. the other side of this great boom with mm. all the crashes yeah
0: Okay, so uh, I don't know how we got out of that. No push pay. <laughs> push, we're not going to look at push pay. No. Okay. No. Hmm.
1: But one thing we talked about, uh, at least we emailed about, was I do have a watch list of stocks. So I thought I thought we might start walking through those. And these are um, the ones that are scoring under six. The last time you looked at them, yeah, under six on price to operating cash flow, but under point one yeah. on oh, the okay. combined score. Yeah,
0: you've you've done a full checklist on them in yeah, the past. That's right. Okay, and so
1: if they passed, why didn't you buy them? I have. So some of these I bought. Uh, Some of these are still in a three-point trend decline, so they're on the watch list just to wait and see. Right. Uh, And, uh, yeah, some of them I bought in the past and they're, they're now above the QAV score cutoff.
0: So moving forwards, every stock we look at should be relatively healthy. It should be, uh, you know, uh, worth worth paying attention to. We're going to try and avoid the dogs.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. Overall, we're trying to avoid the dogs. We will. There will be still dogs on our list, but um, yeah. As Buffett says, if you get six out of ten right, happy days.
0: Really, that's his uh, metric. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Most of my managers say the same thing. Oh, well, you don't look so bad then, according to. <laughs> <laughs> If that's Buffett's metric, six out of ten, right, sixty percent.
1: Jesus. Yep. Okay. Wow. You get all your calls right. You just need to try and get above average. Right. Yes, and just just a few words on the watch list, uh, Mm -hmm. if people aren't familiar with that term. And what I mean by that is, I think I've said before, every every year, twice a year, uh, when new figures come out, I'll furiously, you know, run my filters and downloads and set up alerts, so that when new figures come in. Uh, particularly for for companies I've either owned in the past or have been on a watch list, I'll get an email saying that the figures are now available. I'll jump in and analyse them. And if they score well, they'll go on to a, a spreadsheet I have, which is a watch list. That the spreadsheet probably has about 200 stocks in it. Now, not all of them are meeting our criteria, but they're ones I've owned in the past or during the year have... Uh, looked into and thought, well they might they're close to the watch list, so I might just look at their next set of figures. So I'll have a couple of hundred on the list. They'll get narrowed down to the sort of 50 maybe to a hundred that are worth buying. And uh, what I'll do then is create a sub sublist on that watch list and I'll allocate how much I want to buy of each of those. And it becomes a little bit tricky because some companies will report in the first week of the month some companies will report in the last week of the month, so you've got to uh, be a bit flexible about you know when you buy and how you buy. But basically, what I do is my my allocation or the amount I want to buy, um, I take the daily average transaction value, which we've spoken about before, mm-hmm. and I multiply it by the QAV score. And if a QAV score is a good score, it's it's point one. So I'm generally taking ten percent or so of the Daily traded amount. So that for me rules out all the smaller companies um, because I'm I'm uh, I'm looking to buy you know enough to move the needle in my portfolio, but it leaves the bigger ones, and it's not buying up all of the transactions in one day, which you know can get difficult to to do and to move stocks when they sell because you're holding a a large amount to um, to try and move when the market just doesn't have the appetite for it. So. That's what I'm doing. What I'll do is I'll then say I've I've then got this much in my portfolio and I'll ratio all of those individual transactions over the total portfolio. So if I said I wanted to buy a million dollars worth of BHP um, and the overall portfolio, just for example, is $10 million and I've got another 30 or 40 stocks to buy, the BHP will come down in value according to its proportion of the overall $10 million, if that makes sense. So I'm creating a watch list, I'm creating a buy list, I'm setting how much I wanna buy per stock and then how much I wanna buy overall and I'm ratioing those, ratioing those per stocks amounts down to uh, fit into $10 million uh, and still have the same ratio between the stocks. And then I start to buy and, and generally it, it, it means I, I won't be buying everything on one day. And that's another important factor uh, it's a process called dollar cost averaging. And I guess going back to that question that was asked to me before about, you know, do I sell everything and buy the first stock that comes along that analyzes well on the checklist? I say no. I'd say you want to do it over a period of time. And just like if you were um, not doing QAV analysis but were buying an index fund, don't buy everything on one day. Uh, I think Steve Sammartino talked about that too. Put put $5,000 in this month and $5,000 in next month, etc and uh, and just hedge your risk, so to speak. So you, if it goes down a little bit, you're buying more. If it goes up, you're buying less. But uh, you're not putting all your eggs onto that one day and at that one price. Uh,
0: let me ask you about that because you've, you've talked about this before and I haven't really understood it. So if you're going to buy 10 stocks uh, in a particular day, how long does that take? Aren't you buying them online? Isn't that like
1: a 10-minute exercise? Point click buy next. Yeah, but um, okay. So say it's uh, company reporting season. It's the month of August, and you've analysed ten stocks that you like. Say it's the first week in the company reporting season. You might find that in the next week there's another ten stocks you've liked, but you've shot your wad in the first week. So I would I would advocate not buying those, not buying your full allocation on those ten stocks in the first week. Right. Knowing that there's going to be more in the second week and the third week and the fourth week. So you might buy a quarter of that, those 10 stocks in the first week. Right. And you've got to work out how much to buy of those 10 stocks. So you've got to work out, you know, what, what ratio between those 10 stocks and then what ratio of your overall portfolio you want to put into each one. Right. Uh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so oftentimes at the end of the, end of the company reporting season, I'm still buying because I've just been, I haven't sort of gone in hard during the month. I've just been, um averaging my buy prices and ratio across all the stocks I like.
0: Okay, well, you know, let's let's go find some stocks that we can buy, Tony.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about uh, R&D. Who is Rand Mining, Tony? So Rand Mining is a gold company stock. Uh it's a f- it's mining in WA, which is a good sign I think because There is a difference between companies which mine in Australia and companies which mine overseas, and that difference is often described as sovereign risk. And there have been cases where companies uh, may be listed on the ASX, but mining in Indonesia or mining in Africa, and the government uh, has turned on them. And they (laughs) don't have as much recourse as they have with the courts in Australia, and so they can face some material shocks which come out of the blue. So Typically, if a company's mining in Australia, it's a, it's probably a little bit less risky than someone who's mining overseas. So that's the first thing to note. The second thing is that this is a very small company. So uh, it's a market cap of $192 million, which is a decent size, but average daily trading amount is only $6,000. So it's not going to suit everybody, uh, but it's, uh, it's certainly one that um, I've looked at. And one of the reasons why I looked at it is, uh, it's in a joint venture with a company called Northern Star Resources, and uh, Northern Star, we spoke about last week, is a company I've owned uh, for a number of years, and it's been going up really well in the uh, over that period of time. So that kind of drew me to have a look at Rand mining as well. Okay. Well, do you want to um, get the,
0: the the share code is RND by the way, for people listening. And again, we are doing this on the 17th of June, 2019. So uh, adjust your clocks if you're doing this uh, later on. Uh, Should we open up Stock Doctor and get into it, Tony?
1: Yes, let's do that.
0: Now, if this is your first time listening to one of our QAV Club podcasts, first of all, I hope you've gone back and listened to episodes one through four or five where we sort of do the uh, beginner's guide to Tony's checklist and we explain it in a lot of detail. At this stage of the podcast, we're not really doing that. We're just running through it and assume that you have gone back and listened to those. And this is not your typical podcast where uh, you can sort of be doing four different things while it's on in the background. To get the most value out of this, it's basically, I think of it as Tony University, Kino U. You need to sit down with a pen and a pad or a spreadsheet and work through it with us so you learn how Tony rates different line items and values them etc. If you want you can just skip to the end of the podcast and see what the rating was and throw it into a spreadsheet somewhere but uh, that's not really what this is about uh, this is uh, an opportunity to learn how Tony thinks basically and to do that you really need to go through it uh, step by step and and get familiar with how he values these different Line items on the checklist. Let's get into it. Okay, net
1: cash flow for Rand Mining. Net cash flow is uh, December eighteen interim, one hundred and thirteen point eight eight four million.
0: Hmm. And shares on issue. I've got according to the ASX sixty point one five million. What does Stock Doctor say? Yeah, sixty point one four eight. Which gives me a cash per share of uh, $1.89, roughly. Mm-hmm.
1: So quite low. Uh,
0: the share price, as of today, again, 17th of June, about $3.20. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Which gives me a share price to cash per share ratio of about $1.69. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go and have a look at their graph and see what we can see with sentiment. Five-year chart... Seems pretty good to me. Five years ago, they were at uh, 40 cents. They're currently, at, as I said, about 320. Seems to have been going fairly consistently up over that period of time. A few little peaks and troughs, but nothing major.
1: Yeah, probably the biggest uh, major decline was back in about February, but they've powered on from there. So they would have been a buy around April onwards.
0: Uh, it was a little one in February, yeah. Dropped mm. from $2 down to $1.80. I was looking back at like August 16, they dropped from $1.80 down to $1.14, but you're talking more recent declines. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so positive sentiment, yes? Yes. Give them a one? Yep, a two. Give them a two? Yep. All right. Dividend yield, what have you got? I've got nothing. Uh, No, nothing. That's right, no dividend. Nothing. No, I don't. PE uh, according to the ASX two point zero nine. Okay,
1: so PE I get uh, I get two point eight. Two point eight. Yeah.
0: Hmm, okay. More recent numbers, I guess, as we've found before. Do we want any uh, recent the uh, the PE history?
1: Yeah, we do. Uh, <clears throat> so PE history going back to the last six is eight point six five. and now 2.8. What have you got for net equity? Net equity I have 96,171,000. Okay, and their net equity history? Yeah, so it's declining a little bit. So going back to December 15, it was 58.9 million, then 68.2, then 75.6, then 78.6. 88.8 88.8 and 100.3, but it's back to 96.1, this half. Well, I've got net equity
0: per share of about $1.60. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a price to book of about a dollar. Yeah, that sounds
1: right. Well, wow. So we're over. What's their net income, net profit after tax? Net profit after tax is 68636000
0: and their earnings per share, I've got uh, one dollar forty-eight on the analysts. Oh, ASX. really? I've got a dollar fourteen point one one. Right, I'll take your number. It's more recent. And you have a future earnings per share? Any I don't analysts? know. Analysts. Okay, so that's a nothing. Well, uh, return on equity then. I've got at about point
1: seven one. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right to you? Yes, yeah, I've got uh, I got 71.3 and Stock Doctor
0: has 74.1. Okay, I've got 71.4, close enough. Mm-hmm. So my intrinsic value number one, their current earnings per share divided by our hurdle rate is 5.846. Mm-hmm. And the second one is nada because we don't have a future earnings per share. Yep. All right,
1: is it a star stock, Tony? No, it's not. Okay, is share analysis is still down. Yeah, so I email it is. I emailed them and they said there's going to be a couple of weeks. So fairly fairly bland reply. Um, didn't seem to want to engage on what the problem was, but he said it'd be up in two weeks' time.
0: Right. Uh, so we'll we'll neutralise that. Is the share price beneath the stock doctor intrinsic value?
1: Uh, we don't have a value. and We don't have a consensus estimate. So zero or neutral? Uh, yeah, just null out. No. We don't have one. Mm-hmm. We're going
0: to null the next line, which is about share analysis, intrinsic value. Is it below my intrinsic value if I use 19 and a half? Well, I got $5.84. Mm-hmm. The share price is $3.20. So it's uh yes. Gets a one. Yep. Uh, we don't have a forecast intrinsic value, so we null that out. Mm-hmm. Price to book. Is the share price less than 30% above the net equity per share? My NEPs was 60. Uh No, it's not less than 30% above that. Correct. So it yep. gets a zero. Does the share price have a positive trend? We said yes. Gives it a two. Mm-hmm. Is it the lowest P.E. in the last three years? Let me look at my P.E. ratio. Uh, yes, it is. Correct. Give it a one. Yes. Oh, uh,
1: no, uh, yes,
0: I think so. One, two, one. I'm giving it a one. <laughs> Give it a one, all
1: right. Let, well, <laughs> let me see what <laughs> I've done before. Uh, so let me have a look at my spreadsheet and just compare. <sighs> I don't think it'll matter. Give it a one and I'll look it up and tell you. Right. Give it a one.
0: Growth of earnings per share as a percentage uh, divided by the PE. Well, we don't have a uh, forecast EPS, right? Correct. So we're just going to null that? Yes, thank you. Does the co- You're welcome. Does the company have a consistently <laughs> increasing equity? I think you said no. Correct. Is the PE less than the yield where there's no yield? So do we null that? Uh, no, it's a zero. It's That's no, a zero. Yield, no yep. Yeah. Is the dividend yield higher than the mortgage rate?
1: No, 0. Correct. Financial sorry, health. I'm, sorry, mm-hmm. just going back to that record low for the last 6 PEs. I put a 2 in there. 2. Okay. Yep. All right. Just because it's it's uh, I've seen a higher correlation between that and the good uh, outcome. Is the financial health from stock doctor stable or increasing? Yes, it's
0: strong, strong, strong. 1 or 2 for that? 2. Oh, no, it's a 1. Just a 1. Okay. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Forecast intrinsic value is nothing. Uh, well, it's not a top 10 stock, I'm guessing. No, it's very small. Is the price per share divided by cash per share less to or equal than six? Let me go back. Price to share. Uh, it was 1.69. Yep. So that is a one. it's uh, a, a two. two. That's a two. Yeah, I have that. That's no, two. Is the CEO an owner founder? Yeah, there's a lot of stock being held by the by the board in this one. Two for that one too. Yeah. Next one's about share analysis, so that's no good. And now we're gonna total the
1: score. And while you're doing that, just one of the reasons why there's not much tr- stock traded each day is because the owners hold so much. Ah, uh, yeah.
0: Ooh. Well, my total score was ten. So we're going to divide that by 10. What is 10 divided by 10? I better put that in Excel. All right. So we get a one quality score of... We want that to be a percentage. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So higher than 75%. Now we want to take that checklist score and divide it by the price to cash flow number. I get zero point five. Yep, which is greater than zero point one.
1: Yeah, ta-da! <laughs> so put it on our list, and we can watch it go down next week and try and explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Should we send
0: them our ransom letter now, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> that's how we—that's how we arbitrage this whole thing—is we uh, have a second income on the side, bribery income.
1: Yeah, you've got a Bitcoin account, haven't you?
0: I don't. Should I get one? I should get one. Yeah, yeah. we can... They can trace those transactions. Hard to trace, yeah. I think they can now. I don't think that holds up anymore. Um, All right. There you go. Good work, Rand Mining. So let's uh, break that down and see why it's doing so well. I mean, is it uh, just because they're making money?
1: Yeah, there's a big jump in that profit from the last half to this half, so...
0: They're making money, but their share price isn't that high.
1: No that's reason. right because, because they're not trading much, is that it? Well, just going back to MPAT, it was 22 million a half before last, and it was 68 million this half. so big ramp up in profit. Uh, that's one of the reasons why yeah, it scores so well and in terms of the share price going up, I think this is just probably you know a small company. it's not on anyone's radar. So right, it, it, which is a good you know a good reason for us to get in as individual investors because eventually someone will go hey look at this and yeah it might it might as it grows it'll get bigger as it has a bigger market cap people will be forced to look at it and that's when they can sometimes jump quickly. The share price was two dollars back at the
0: beginning of the year and it's now up to three twenty so it's had a good year and just in oh, the yeah. first six months of the year in terms of the share price. But, yeah. but it still comes in uh, nicely under the QAV, even with that.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, and that's one thing to note is that when you have a company with a large ownership by the board and the free float isn't that big, just a small amount of buying can send the price up because there's only, uh, like the price is basically set by that small float that's available for sale. And sometimes the ASX will get involved and say, hey, guys, you haven't got enough. Float here, and the price is too volatile. Can you sell some shares, uh, or will delist you? You're basically a private company. I don't know if it's quite the case with this one yet, but that has happened in the past. Uh, but it's something to watch on the way down, because what goes up quickly can also come down quickly. Mm. Yeah. I I also have, an just an inkling that uh, this is a very small company in partnership with Northern Star. And obviously, a mine which is doing well, I wouldn't mind betting there's going to be an offer at some stage in the near future. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just a feeling I've got, but, you know, I'm not buying it for that reason, and I, that's just a, a purely speculation on my part, but it, it kind of smells like it to me. Mm-hmm. Well, um, anything else we need
0: to say about rand mining, or do we uh, just give it a big tick? Give it a big tick and watch the share
1: price go down next week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, Tony.
0: Think positive, Tony. Think positive. Well, it's
1: a bit of gallows here. you got to laugh, haven't
0: you? You do. Thanks, mate. Uh, next week, by the way, uh, if everything goes as planned, we're going to have on as our guest Matt Joass. I think that's how he pronounces his last name. Matt Joass, uh, former... Portfolio manager of Motley Fool Pro in Australia, a professional investor, former host of the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, which is on hiatus. It's um, going to come on and have a chat to us about his investing strategy. That should be good. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. Talk to you next week. Okay, see you.